and welcome to another episode of Shadow Talk, an information security and cyber threat intelligence podcast brought to you by Digital Shadows, a ReliaQuest company. My name is Chris, and this week, which will represent our final podcast of 2022, I'm delighted to be joined by my colleague Ivan, who's over in Texas. How's things your end, Ivan? Have you got over Brazil's exit from the World Cup yet? You still hurting? <laughs> Why are you going to bring that up, Chris? <laughs> no, yeah, it's been good. It's been good. Been staying busy and looking forward to the holidays uh, very soon. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's been a long year. At least it seems that, that way. Perhaps I say that every year, but I'm very much looking forward to a bit of time off as well. Thanks for joining. So probably a bit of a quicker podcast today to see us into the new year. I'll just take this opportunity to thank all of our listeners for tuning in during the last 12 months. I very much thoroughly enjoyed hosting and contributing on Shadow Talk and looking forward to doing so again in the new year. So I'll take this opportunity, you know, just to, again, thank you, but but flag up that we do have an email inbox, which you can send any feedback, any questions, any queries our way, or indeed, as we have in the past week, some highly amusing analogies with our recent discussion on the apple juice malware from last week's podcast that very much amused us all reading that on monday so thank you for sending that in but if you do have any more dad jokes or indeed any queries please direct them to shadow talk at digitalshadows.com we'll likely have a new email in the new future in the near future but for now that's where you can find us so moving on to the the first topic of the week uh, and that's related to the abundance of third-party data breaches that are affecting popular providers so two in particular that caught my attention were, of course, Twitter and Uber. As I'm sure you are all aware, these were disclosed weeks ago, but there have been new developments that have transpired in recent days. So at Twitter, uh, they confirmed that with the recent leak of millions of members' profiles, including private phone numbers and email addresses, this actually resulted from the same data breach that the company disclosed in August 2022. Twitter said that its incident response team analyzed the user data that was leaked in November 2022 and confirms it was collected by using the same vulnerability that was fixed in January of this year. Meanwhile, Uber have suffered a new data breach after a threat actor leaked employee email addresses, corporate reports, and IT asset information that was stolen from a third-party vendor uh, in a cybersecurity incident. And early Saturday morning, a threat actor named UberLeaks began actually leaking this data that they claim was stolen from Uber and Uber Eats on a hacking forum that was particularly known for, for publishing data breaches. This leaked data includes archives claiming to be source code that's associated with mobile device management platforms that's used by Uber and Uber Eats. Uh, and of course, this follows an earlier breach of Uber's data in 2022, in which the Lapsus Group, yes, I'm, I'm sure everyone remembers them, were behind a leak in, in targeting U Uber's data. So the first question for, for you, Ivan, with all these third-party providers suffering breaches, seemingly at the same time, in your opinion, is the risk facing users' personal data getting worse or, or is it just a, a continuation of what we should all expect? Yeah, you know, it's data theft is definitely at an all-time high. And it kind of makes me think back to early 2020 when threat actors began realizing that if they steal data from victims, they can make much more money and that's how double extortion ransomware began to be a thing. Threat actors, they realized that the threat of data exposure is so high that companies, they're willing to pay millions of dollars to prevent that data from being released. So the, the more personal data there is in a data stolen, the more valuable that data is. 
Therefore, it's no surprise that we're seeing a rise in these types of attacks because that's where the money is at. And the trend that we're seeing is that whenever the threat actually they've profited enough from that data and they feel like they can't profit anymore, they begin just exposing that data for free, which puts the regular average person at risk. Yeah, that was one of the um, the predictions that we made in our recent paper that we put together, security predictions for, for 2023, funny enough. And it was the the rise of, of kind of, you know, ransomware activity. So we expect that ransomware landscape is going to become much more saturated in 2023, but also data extortionists in kind of skipping the encryption attacks and just solely focusing on data exfiltration as the means of uh, soliciting ransom payments from victims. And I just wonder if this is a, a more effective medium of actually extorting someone because it's less loud, it's less brash. You can kind of negotiate with these companies under the table. And then of course, if they don't, then, you know, like you say, they can just sort of leak that data. Yeah, I, I, again, I, I do I do wonder whether these these uh, data breaches do have an element of, of recency bias a, a, as well. But, you know, do you think, you know, generally speaking, when you post, you know, your details on certain sites, you know, you sign up to services. Do you think that it's inevitable that your details will be breached or is there some things that you can kind of do to stop that? In cybersecurity, there's a very popular saying that is, if you, it's not if you get breached, it's when you get breached. The truth is that all, all systems can be hacked and if somebody's motivated enough. And the nation state, nation state threat actor, for example, they have so much technical expertise that they're nearly unstoppable whenever they set their eyes on a target. And our role in cybersecurity is to make ourselves as hard enough to target so that a threat actor chooses another organization instead of us. So it's not really about being impossible to get breached, but it's about being hard enough to get breached that they choose other, other victims. So yes, we should consider every time we publish any data online that it there's a risk that that data is going to be exposed. And that's a risk that we have to take if we are, you know, we want to be putting our data out there. Absolutely. I'm going to come up with a, a really, really interesting analogy that Danny told me on this. He said it was something along the lines of, I'm probably going to butcher this now. He said, it's not about outrunning the bear. It's whether you can run faster than the guy next to you. So just making the, <laughs> making your company less desirable to target by, you know, making it harder for these threat actors to actually go after you in the first place because they often do take that path of least resistance. But yeah, for, for me, I just kind of accept that if I sign up to services, there's a high probability that my, my data will be breached, you know, and it's, it's highly at risk. What do users and companies need to do, you know, from a third-party risk perspective? So third-party is very difficult to protect from because there's a lot of trust that we inherently put into third parties. So we need to make sure that anyone that we share our data with, they're going to be protecting that data the same way that we would. In addition, we should be using principles of least privilege with third parties to ensure that they, they don't have access to more information that they need. And uh, if we're giving too much access to a third party, a threat actor can simply pivot from a third party to our own network. So as long as we segment everything, we use robust and multi-layered defense in-depth strategies, then we can minimize the risk that we get from using third parties. Excellent. Yeah, defense in-depth is a really comprehensive answer. I, I definitely like that. I think from a user perspective, you know, where do I even begin here? The first thing I would suggest is to go get a copy of our account takeover paper, read that in detail. That has a lot of really useful advice with regards to credential management and not having your, your data breached. It's basic stuff like not reusing passwords, making sure that, you know, they're not 
you know, using weak brute forceable credentials, not using corporate email addresses to sign up for personal reasons. You know, if you do, then that simple third party breach affecting, I don't know, the likes of a takeaway service that you use or your local gym membership, you know, that might turn into a, a breach of your corporate account. So yeah, the defense in depth is is a really good thing to mention from a, a company perspective, but you know, users, it's it's staying on top of your digital footprint and your your hygiene. So we'll move on to the the second topic of the day. And that's related to the Klopp ransomware. So not a group we, we've, we've spoken about in, in great de detail, I don't think. So security researchers have noticed a spike in devices infected with the TrueBot malware. That's a downloader that was created by a Russian-speaking hacking group that are known as Silence. So Silence is, is one that I remember from, from back in the day. They're known for big heists against financial institutions. And they've really begun to shift from phishing as their initial comp. Uh, compromise vector and instead using new custom data exfiltration tools one of them uh, is called teleport an analysis of silence's attacks over the past months have revealed that the group have actually delivered the clop ransomware that's typically associated with the ta505 threat group uh, who were in turn associated with the fin11 threat group so first question which one to start with here but who are clop and where do they sit in the, the ransomware landscape, Ivan? Club, they are one of the old school ransomware groups. They practice double extortion and they're known for a lot of large attacks such as organizations like Qualys. And uh, they have been posting victims to the to the club's data leakage website since about early January 2022. Sorry, 2020, excuse me. And that makes them one of the oldest ransomware groups still active to date. You can think of the likes of Conti and Maze. They have all gone offline since, and Klopp is one of the oldest ones still active. So Klopp remains, and it seems like they are continuing to be motivated to do attacks. I remember there, that there were some arrests with Klopp members in mid-2021, and we all thought that Klopp was going to you know, shut down or maybe branch off into other groups after that. But it doesn't seem that it deterred the group at all, and they still remain active and likely motivated, if it is Klopp. Yeah, sure. Yeah, they, they they seem to like. I think you've de detailed it in the the best method there. They they're essentially one of the old school proponents of ransomware, right? They they have been around for such a long time. I seem to remember them being highly active, you know, last year, and maybe that's tailed off a little bit in twenty twenty two. But you know, that data leak site is still kind of pumping out victims on a regular basis. So really, one of the old school proponents, as you say. What's their association with the Silence Threat Group, and and what do you know of Silence? Silence, they are a Russian threat group. They're known for attacks on financial institutions. They have allegedly planted their malware in more than 1,500 machines across the globe. And uh, once they infected victims, they exfiltrate data, and now they are using the CLOP ransomware. And this is not really a surprise at all. A lot of financially motivated threat actors, they're now dipping their toes into the ransomware threat landscape. And uh, it isn't known if they have formed maybe a partnership with TA505 who they deployed club, or if they somehow got access to the ransomware. But this is definitely an interesting development. Absolutely. And uh, while we're on the topic of, you know, predictions for the next year, what do you think might happen in the ransomware landscape in 2023? I think that we'll see a lot of the same things. Some groups will form, other groups will shut down. And the whole cycle continues. And this has been the threat landscape for ransomware for the past two years. I don't think that there will be any major changes. After all, things seem to be working. And if it's not broken, there's no need to fix it. 
all that I really foresee happening is that the partnerships between ransomware groups and uh, initial access brokers, these partnerships may grow stronger and ransomware as a whole is likely to keep growing. Yeah, I think that's a very good point to make. Yeah, as we were discussing earlier, you know, there's there's probably more potential victims than the current number of ransomware groups can actually process. So we're, there's ample space for new groups to enter this scene and start to conduct attacks of their own. And of course, you know, lots of different affiliate mod- models and, and methods of actually creating a, a ransomware program. So yeah, definitely one that's going to become more saturated in 2023, I'd imagine. We'll move on to the last item for today on the podcast, which will center on the New Year's resolutions that you can make in 2023. Of course, this is a theme of a blog that I'm writing at present and that will go live next Tuesday on the 20th of December, uh, you know, really outlining the steps you can make in the new year to improve your overall cybersecurity maturity and make a real difference in reducing your cyber risk. So the three things I've outlined are starting from the top, uh, cutting back on your attack surface management. So I think this was a a bit of a crude analogy I was making uh, with regards to cutting back on the, the bad foods and alcohol everybody does. It's the usual New Year's resolution, right? But um, attack surface management, that refers to the process of discovery and documentation of assets that could be used as a breach point into your network. So again, you know, like, you know, you're likely going to be cutting back on those additional calories. You know, getting rid of those additional avenues of approach into your network is is definitely a prudent point to make and, and a good thing to start with in 2023. Another thing you can really do is getting the miles in with tabletop exercises. And the tabletop exercise, you know, essentially allows teams to identify roles and responsibilities, key points of contact and escalation, and ultimately document how to mitigate certain attacks. So developing these incident response plans can be, you know, quite a a difficult and painstaking process that is often not best done under a live scenario. And by placing your teams under the spotlight of a simulated attack, um, you'll likely encounter many of the roadblocks that will happen in an actual live scenario. So really, it can just allow your teams to gain experience and really kind of work towards documenting how you would react in a a real life scenario. So the things I've, I've mentioned here is, you know, doing something that is kind of out of the ordinary to security teams perhaps that they haven't dealt with before. Um, it might even be, you know, some of the, the things that we mentioned on the podcast. So obviously we've mentioned ransomware, data breaches, you know, maybe a, a catastrophic DDoS attack affecting your your online services. Ideally something that your, your teams haven't really dealt with before. And the last thing I've got on my blog is uh, clearing that to-do list of the asset in- inventory and S-bombs. So S-bombs being a software bill of materials. This is something that we, we referenced on last week's podcast. But an asset in- inventory essentially represents a working list of all users, applications, devices. And obviously this needs to be constantly revised and updated, but it really will assist your teams uh, from a number of different perspectives. So, you know, cyber risk, compliance, your incident response, you know, that's all going to really greatly benefit from enhanced visibility of what assets your network actually contains. And then S-bombs is a little different. So this really came into the the sort of common lexicon of cybersecurity, I guess, following President Biden's executive order on improving cybersecurity in the US. Uh, That was in May of this year. And it can really accompany your asset inventory by detailing all of the components that can constitute security software So really just understanding what components are contained within the software that you use. And I think the big thing that that, that comes off the back of this is organizations are often 
either unaware of the specific impact and risks that are caused by, you know, their software supply chains or the aftermath of a particular vulnerability that, that gets disclosed. And just having a better understanding of these components, it used within third-party services and also software and, you know, the, the equipment that you use across your network allows companies to ultimately, you know, be in a better state to kind of triage and manage that risk because you have a, a greater visibility of, of, of what components are actually used. So a couple of good examples, you know, Log4j, obviously in the aftermath of that, every company was scrambling around to understand exactly what exposure they had to that. So SBOMs can can really help with that, really. So just over to you, Ivan, you know, what other areas, you know, would you suggest security teams might want to improve upon in 2023? I think in general, when we, we need to be aware of the simple types of attacks as well, social engineering, password compromise, et cetera. Threat actors, they're not really going the hard route of exploiting vulnerabilities and tearing down defenses. They are going the easy route. They're taking stolen passwords, using social engineering to bypass two-factor, etc. You can look at the amount of damage that an unsophisticated group like Lapsus has caused. Uh, Lapsus, they breached Microsoft, Otka, Samsung, etc. All because they were good at social engineering. So my message for 2023 is, let's also think about the small things because that's often where the access is that's often where they get initial access and they cause a lot of damage. It's the small things that can often make the biggest difference, right? So that's a, a really good one to end on, I think. Brilliant. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your discussion and speaking with you today, Ivan. And look forward again to doing it in 2023. So thank you very much, mate. I'll just finish by mentioning the blogs that we have due for the next week. So we've had one blog released yesterday on Wednesday, the 14th. And that was detailing the world of carding and indeed trying to ascertain whether carding is declining attack vector or whether cyber criminals are still making you know, massive inroads and profits from uh, this particular attack type. Next week, of course, we have the New Year security resolutions that we just went through then. So that'll be released on Tuesday the 20th. But that's all for today. Uh, just like to take this opportunity again to thank all of our listeners. And we look forward to seeing you all again in 2023. Goodbye.